If you would turn to Malachi, and we're going to get to John here in just a moment. Malachi chapter 3, if you don't know where that is, go to Matthew and just go one book to the left. It's the last book of the Old Testament. So we've begun to step into a verse-by-verse walk through the Gospel of John. And last week we looked at verses 1 through 5, and we will look at uh, verses 6 through 8 today. Uh, good to see you. Hope you had a good week. Twyla and Randy have been married 40 years today. Is that correct? 40 years today. Woo. Yeah. Awesome. Very good. Yeah, kids, you can go. Case, yeah, we didn't tell you that. But anyway, if you want to go, you can go. Well, if you've read the Gospel of John, you know that it is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There are some similarities with things, but I think about 80% of the Gospel of John stands alone to itself. The other books, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. They are similar uh, to one another. And let me just emphasize a few things as we're continuing just to begin uh, walking through this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke really emphasize a lot of what Jesus taught and also what he did, um, a lot of the, th- the ministry aspects of things. John emphasizes much more about who Jesus is and really wants to give us this unique insight into who Christ is. Matthew, Mark, and Luke emphasize a lot of the outward work, ministry work of Jesus. And John reveals to us a lot of the inside stuff that Jesus was, was thinking and, and, and the things that were happening and taking place there. The Synoptic Gospels are more fact-driven, um, event-driven. You see that lots of, particularly with the Gospel of Mark, it's just fast pace, just a number of different things. Uh, John's Gospel is more doctrine uh, in nature and a lot more theological things uh, that are there, and I think that reflects that he is dealing with who Jesus is and also um, some of the inward things that Christ uh, was thinking. Uh, the Synoptic Gospels as well um, really give us a lot of the public teaching of Christ. And with the Gospel of John, we see a lot more of the private conversations Jesus was having with a number of different people. So as we come to um, the verse today in verse 6 through 8 in chapter 1, we're going to encounter a summary of John the Baptist. And let me just say this was to begin today. Um, God obviously always knows what he's doing. But for people like us, I don't know why both of these guys um, had the name John. And so I'm going to give them names today. We're going to call one the Apostle. And I'm going to call the other one Baptist just so that there's not any confusion for us in regard to when I say John. Okay, like which John is he talking about? And so uh, I'll try not to do any confusing things. I did fairly well um, in the first service. So as John steps onto the scene in John 1, verse 6, there has been 400 years of silence. The prophets, there had been no prophets, there had been no writing, and there were, it wasn't that God wasn't doing anything, but there wasn't any writing of Scripture, there were no prophets um, rising up. And so at the end of the Old Testament, by the time we get to John chapter 1, there has been 400 years. Just think about that for a moment. Our country is not 400 years old. And for the Jews, they had grown accustomed to that God spoke to them. You go all the way back, God, God has always been a speaking God, revealing His heart through words and revelation. And so um, this had been a common occurrence for them that throughout the generations of this group of people, um, God had spoken to them. But then there comes a time at the close of the Old Testament where God becomes silent. Now, He's still speaking through the written Word that had already been established through the prophets and the Psalms. But as far as 
new prophets, new words for the people, 400 years of silence. This is sometimes called this period of silence or the intertestamental period. And so as we come to verse 6 today, we will see that 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 silence ends um, today. So let me just remind us, in case you weren't here last week, in verses 1 through 5 of John chapter 1, this is what John writes, establishing the glory of Christ for us. He writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So let me just give you a brief picture of of where we were last week so you can understand why John is doing, the apostle is doing what he's doing in chapter 1. So he's wanting to establish for us, John, the apostle, has walked with Christ likely for 60 years now. For three to three and a half years, he was an inner circle disciple. He was one that got to go a little bit further in the garden. He's one that got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was likely the youngest, and he lives to be the oldest. He's the only one of the 12 that does not die a martyr's death. Well, actually, Judas takes his life, but of the 11, he's the only one who does not die a martyr's death, though people were after him all along to try and kill him. So sometime between 80, 85, and 95, he is at the very end of his life, at the end of the first century, and John looks back over his life, and I think he's probably thought about this for a long time, and he's wondered about if I'm ever going to write anything, how would I start this, what would I want to say, what would I want to communicate to people? David Fries and I were communicating back and forth um, Last uh, a week ago, Saturday, just uh, both of us excited about this new journey uh, in John's gospel. And David said this. He said, it's like John waited until the end of his life. And he looked at all the other things that had been written about Jesus. And not criticizing anything that had been written. John simply said this, there is more to be told. And so John begins to unfold these things. And so John, after walking with Christ for at least 60 years, says this to us, I want you to know this, Jesus is the eternal God. He is, in the beginning was the Word, this is Jesus, He was in the beginning, He was before matter, He was before creation. And you ask the question of, well, where was He? Well, He wasn't anywhere, because there wasn't anywhere. God, the Scripture affirms, is self-existent. And so, There was the Father, there was the Son, and there was the Spirit. In the beginning, Jesus was there. He is preexistent before matter, before any creation. Then it says, and the Word was with God, which means this, is that He was coexistent with the Father. So not only was Jesus preexistent before anything was, but He was coexistent with the Father. And then John writes at the end of verse 1, he says, and He and the Word, Jesus was this word was in the greek there does it indicate past tense that remains there it's a word that means this continuing in the state so in the beginning jesus was there always had been there the word was with god was always with the father and the word was continued the word was god always continuing to be father so so john wants us to know beyond anything the greatest thing that he can communicate to us that gives this evidence that jesus is god is that he is the eternal god because he is 
pre-existent. He has always been around. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's not any shadow change. There's no change at all connected with who Christ is. And then he says this because he is the eternal God. The fact that there has been a creation, it has come through him and from him. It's been, it's, and everything is for him. And because of that, he is the author of life. And so if you want to know what life is, you've got to find Jesus. And when you find Jesus, that life gives you light so that you can see how to live, how to think. We can see what God is like. And so for John, he wants to establish this for us, the apostle. And now he's going to talk about the Baptist. And he's going to say these words. He's going to say in a moment in John 1, we're going to read, there was a man, and he's going to differentiate Jesus as the God-man from John, a man who was born of woman. Matter of fact, let me just ask this question. It's not a trick question. Who created John the Baptist? Hello. I just told you everything was created by Jesus. Y'all are disappointing me. Come on now. So Jesus created everything. Who created John the Baptist? Okay, that's weak. Okay, you second service people, y'all going to need to... Come on, first, first service people were awake this morning. Who created John the Baptist? Okay, that's much better. Thank you very much for getting with the program this morning, all right? I hope this is not a sign of, if y'all don't listen better, we're, we're missing the cowboy kickoff. Okay, yeah, some of, you don't, some of you don't care. Yeah, yeah, if it was Green Bay Packers, you would care. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, godless Green Bay, but anyway. <clears throat> At least they make cheese. Something good comes from up there, but anyway. So, uh, okay, it's my time. You need to be quiet now, okay? All right, just, we don't allow Packers to speak on Sunday morning during football season. All right, okay. So John's establishing this great reality for us. He's the eternal God, and, it, and because of that, he's created everything. And because of that, therefore, he is life, and we can only find life in him. And once we find life in him, we find light. So I would like to... Take us on a history lesson just for a moment to kind of bring us up to speed. And I want to kind of take us through these 400 years. Now, that would take a really long time, so we're going to zoom through them. But if you look with me in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, this is the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi is the last Old Testament prophet. In regard to Old Testament, when we come to John the Baptist, he's really the culmination of all of this. But in Malachi 3, verse 1, it says this, Behold, I send my messenger... And he will prepare the way before me. Now go to Malachi 4, 5, and 6. These are the last words that Malachi spoke and wrote. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction." So in 430 B.C., God comes and says to Malachi, here's the last thing I want to say, or he doesn't tell him necessarily, they don't know that this is going to be the last thing, but he says, here's what I want you to tell the people. So Malachi comes before the people, God gives him this message, Malachi relays this not only publicly, but it now is written down, it has come to the people to read, it's been put in place, and at that moment, at the end here, the last words that are said, there is coming one in the days ahead, I want you to know this. He's the one that's going to come. 
He's going to be like Elijah, and he's going to speak, and he's going to make way, getting things ready for the coming of the Messiah. And that is how the Old Testament ends. 400 years of silence now commence. Now, in 430 B.C. is when this came to Malachi. The third wave of the exiles to the Babylonian captivity, they have come back with Nehemiah. They have rebuilt the walls around the city. So everything within Jerusalem is functioning as it should, except for spiritually, things are not right. So under Zerubbabel, they have rebuilt the temple. Under Ezra, they have set forth and reordered the the priestly line of Aaron and the high priests and the sacrifices. They've gotten back to the law. Then Nehemiah has come back and they've rebuilt the walls But as time went on with Nehemiah and after that, there are some things and some issues with their hearts that weren't right. And one of the biggest, several big issues that were taking place is the husbands were severely mistreating uh, their wives and neglecting their family relationships. A lot of the Jews began to intermarry with other people who worshipped idols. And one of the big issues, one of the famous verses out of the book of Malachi, is they were not tithing anymore. And so God comes to them uh, through Malachi's words, and he says this. He says, says, um, will a man rob God, and yet you are robbing me? But you will say, God, how have we robbed you? And God answers and says, in tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then God sets forth to them a challenge financially. And he says to them, why don't you test me? Why don't you bring your tithe, not 60% of your tithe. I want you to bring your tithe, not 80, not 40. Bring the tithe and test me and trust me. And will I not, if you will be faithful in this, will I not open up the heavens and bring a blessing, a poor blessing out upon you? So there are all kinds of issues that were taking place um, with the people. In 332 B.C., under Alexander the Great, Greece became this huge world power. They came into Israel, they captured Israel, and placed the Jews under their oppression. And for the most part, under um, Greek leadership and also under the Medo-Persian um, Empire as well, the Jews were treated fairly well until a guy named Antiochus the Great of Syria captured Israel in 204 B.C. Now, when he died, his predecessor was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he hated the Jews. He hated everything about that they were like, and so one of the things that he did is he came into Jerusalem one day, he took a pig, he laid it on the altar, and he slayed it, and he took the pig's blood and stepped into the Holy of Holies, and he sprayed the pig's blood all over it. Well, a large revolt um, led by a guy named Judas Maccabeus uh, took place at that particular point in time, and they rallied against Um, Antiochus Epiphanes and they were able to uh, crush them and eventually in time in 165 BC um, under his leadership they were able to cleanse the temple and get things going again. There continued to be a lot of fighting among the Jews and uh, the people that lived uh, in the area of Syria and then in 63 BC Rome was the dominant power and they came into Israel and they captured Israel at that particular point in time. Julius Caesar, because of things that were happening and taking place in the region, uh, put a man in power over Judea as the procurator over that. And, and his name was, uh, has been known as Antipater or Herod Antipater. And he had two sons. Uh, one of the sons became what we know in, when we come to the Gospels as Herod the Great. Now, in this time, 
that brings us up all the way where John the Baptist is about to be born and Jesus is about to be born. The priesthood was politically motivated, and it was just uh, one of those things where you could buy the priests and buy favor. It was uh, aligned politically with a number of different things. And during those days, there were two dominant groups um, that were in power religiously within the nation. We've heard them. We're familiar with them. They are the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees had a Greek mindset. They had adopted a lot of the the Greek philosophy of things and how, how to work things. Um, they believed that you should only follow the Torah, and so they didn't really um, give a lot of weight to some of the other Old Testament uh, scriptures. And so they were. They also believed that you shouldn't align government. God should not be in government, should not be connected with it. You needed a secular government. But then there were another group of people called the Pharisees. And during the intertestamental period, they were kind that, that originally I think their motivation was right. They, they had looked at the history of the nation and realized we have never walked with God and followed the law really well. And so they created rules to help people follow the law. And here's what they did. The mindset basically was this. The word of God is not enough and so it needs some help. So let's create some rules that we ought to follow that will help us follow God's word. And I want to remind you and I this morning, God's word needs no help. It needs no help. It stands on its own. It is eternal. It has come from its heart. Jesus is the Word of God. And so, so these groups are there. And so the religious scene, when John the Baptist comes on the scene and when Jesus comes onto the scene, is ruled by this Pharisee and Sadducee group. Now, let me ask this question before we go to the text. What should they have been doing for 400 years? Why do you think they should have been doing this? They should have been studying the Word, getting ready for the coming of the Messiah. As God, through Malachi, spoke to the people, there is one coming who is going to prepare the way. So they should have been studying the Scripture, they should have been seeking God, and they should have been preparing for the coming of the Messiah. But what happened is, after those 400 years, the people had become so deaf to the truth, so blind to the truth, and so full of a lack of knowledge of the truth that their picture of what the Messiah was going to be like had changed and evolved from what the Scripture had said. And so this idea of a suffering, humble, shepherd, servant Messiah, it was gone from them. That's why on the day that Jesus is crucified, you have Jesus Himself, the eternal, preexistent co-existent, self-existent, long-awaited Messiah standing on steps before them in Jerusalem and they don't recognize that it's a long-awaited Messiah and because they have this wrong picture, they could stand there and shout, crucify Him and have no clue as to what was happening and taking place. And so we come to the New Testament and this 400-year period period of time of silence is broken as John the Baptist comes upon the scene. If you'll turn over to your right just for a moment from Malachi, go to chapter 3 of Matthew, and I want to just read a few verses here to see the silence that is broken. In those days, Matthew 3, 1, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. 
I think if he could drive a motorcycle, he probably would have drove a motorcycle. John was a little bit edgy. His food was locusts and wild honey. How'd you like to be a disciple of John the Baptist? John, what are we eating today? It's going to be awesome. We're going bug hunting, and we're going to go find some beehives, and we're going to we're going to get some honey, and we're going to dip our bugs in the honey, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great day today. Verse 5, Then all of Jerusalem and all Judea, don't miss these words, all. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Go to one other place just for a moment. Would you go to Matthew chapter 11 just for a moment? And then we're going to go to John. Matthew 11. And go to verse 11. This is Jesus speaking about John the Baptist. He said this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now go to John chapter 1 now. And I want to talk for a moment. We're going to read John 1, 6 through 8. And I want to to kind of establish some things uh, about why John is so unique and why John is special. So in John chapter 1, 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So let me talk about this just for a moment. First thing, the second thing this morning, I want to talk about that John is special, but yet he has a secondary place in regard to Christ. Let's talk first of all about why John is special. The first reason John is special is what we see in verse 6 there. He is a man sent from God. He has a God-given mission to go and do something and has a ministry that he's been given to. And so John is unique and special because John has been sent, the Baptist has been sent by God himself. The second thing is what we just read in Matthew 11 a while ago. Can you imagine Jesus saying this about your life? Of all the people that have ever been born of a woman, John the Baptist is the greatest who has ever been born of a woman. Now why? Why is this said about John? The reason this is said about John is this, is John had the unique responsibility and privilege to be the voice to speak to the people to get them ready for when Jesus would appear and they could literally see him. Now I've talked about this before in the past, but I just want to take just a moment to do so. Can you imagine what it must have been like to live in Jericho and have Jesus Christ, the pre-existent, self-existent, co-existent God, walking in your city? You could see Him. You could talk to Him. You could ask Him questions. You could sit and listen to the very voice of God. You could see Him right there. It must have been absolutely, incredibly amazing. And so here's John. He's come upon the scene, and Jesus wants us to know this, that of all the people that have ever been born, John had this this special place 
that we need to see who he is, that he's special, because he has this incredible role of being the one to proclaim that Jesus was about to be here. You're going to be able to see the Messiah. And John spoke in such a way that the people just came from everywhere to hear what he had to say. So not only is John special because he was sent by God, he is also special because he had that unique privilege and responsibility to introduce Jesus. And the third reason John is special is he is the fulfillment of three Old Testament passages. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says this. I've read the other already. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So Isaiah 40 verse 3, Malachi 3 1, and Malachi 4 5 and 6 indicate the special uniqueness of John the Baptist. Now let's talk about the secondary nature of John, and we will, we will really talk about this um, as we close things out today. John, though, is secondary. Now I think one of the reasons verse 6 is there is that if you'll remember with me, in Acts chapter 19, Paul and Apollos were there, and uh, they had got, gotten to the city of Ephesus. And they had met some disciples of John the Baptist, and if you, I don't know if you remember that um, occasion or not, but this is what Acts 19 says. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he and, and he said to them, did you, did you see? And they said, no, we've never even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, then in what baptism were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And so on hearing this, they were baptized and obviously believed in Christ, and they were baptized in the name of the Lord. I believe John 1.6, one of the reasons it was written is that there were likely still people on planet Earth at the end of the first century that were placing their faith and belief in John the Baptist. And John's wanting to show in verses 1 through 5 that Jesus is the God-man, but he's not like John. There's a man sent from God, but Jesus is the eternal God. He's the Word of God. He's the fullest expression of God. And so John is trying to make this because I think that probably there were still people around at that time. So, so John is secondary to Jesus in that he's not the eternal Word. He's just a man who has been created by Jesus himself. I think John the Apostle is addressing confusion about John the Baptist by saying he's just a man. And thirdly, John the Baptist, Jesus says, is least in the kingdom of heaven, even though he was incredibly great. And that's what Matthew um, 11 tells us. So John has this special role, and yet it is secondary to the place of Christ. Now look with me again in John 1, and I want to read 6 through 8 again. And then the heart of the message is going to flow out of this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now here's what I'd like to do as we close today. I would, take, I would like to take our remaining moments, and I would like to tell you and, and point out for us something unique about John the Baptist's ministry. He has the first 
New Testament ministry. It was the ministry to prepare the way that Messiah was about to step onto the stage, and it was to establish for us an understanding of how things were going to move going forward. So how should LifePoint look? What should be our mindset in regard to ministry? Um, what, sh- what should the mindset of our children's ministry be? Student ministry, life group ministry, preaching ministry, music. What, what should saturate, what should guide and, 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 and be a marker, markers for us as to why we do the things that we do? And I think verses 6 through 8 establish for us the first New Testament ministry philosophy which you can see moving forward because I think it was deeply, intimately connected to the way God was going to want the church to function. And here's the first thing, first principle if you're taking notes this morning. Here's signs of true gospel ministry. And the first one is this, is true gospel ministry is saturated with the subject of believing in Christ. It is saturated with the subject of believing in Christ. John writes the word believe 84 times in 21 chapters. One of the ways that he uses it was with John the Baptist. And we see that in verse 8. He was not the light, or excuse me, in verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John the Apostle, John the Baptist, their mindset was this. This is what we've got to be about, and it's about believing in Jesus. And I believe that the church today has lost sight of that. If you're here today, if you're a guest, if you're a relative, whatever the case may be, or if you're a member here, whatever, here, I want you to know this. If this this book cannot be trusted, then how in the world do we have any kind of security and understanding as to what to do this morning? What to do when we go home? If, if this is not God's word for us, and it's not God's revelation of himself in his word about Christ, how do we know anything? Is there anything in the world that we can trust in? And so I believe that this is God's heart to us. It's trustworthy. I don't care how many men have touched this. I don't care how many times it had been copied. My God, who can speak the world into existence, can bring this word to 2019 the way he wanted it to come to us, and we can trust it. And so how do you and I know what to do? Well, I think we know what to do because of the Scripture. And I believe the church has lost sight of that our main focus is this. And it's it's my main heart every Sunday morning when I get up early and I begin to pray. And I began to walk through the sermon one more time. My heart is twofold every Sunday morning. I want to preach in such a way that he shines and that he's glorified, that your belief in him is built. If there's somebody ever in the room that is not a believer and has never believed in Jesus, I want to preach in such a way that, that communicates to people you trusting in yourself and you trusting in your works is never going to be enough. So place your faith and trust and believe in Jesus. And I think this with all my heart, deep inside my bones, that if you and I at Life Point ever lose sight that our mission is to build belief in the glory of Christ, then we have drifted. And we've drifted to a place of 
uncertainty. And so John's main, the apostle, John the Baptist, their purpose was this, I want to speak and live in such a way that people come to believe in Jesus. Listen to these words from Paul. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith, watch this, comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So our mission at this church and the mission of every church is not music. It's not who's the pastor. It's not do we need to fix our floors. Our mission is to build belief that Christ is the eternal Son of God. Secondly, we learn this about gospel ministry. Is in verse 6 it says, There was a man sent from God. So not only must we be saturated with belief in Jesus, we must see ourselves as sent. And I talked about this last week, and I want to I hammer it home of, a bit more. I love, I love being at church. I love being here. Love being here. But, and I love sitting and I love worshiping and I love connecting and I love greeting and I love our conversations afterwards and, and all that kind of stuff. But I want to remind you and I, we have never been called to just come and sit and not do anything. We come and we sit so that we can go and be sent. The sitting is always because the big aspect of our life is to be sent to a world that has no clue that there's a God that loves them. So we must embrace this mindset. Not only are we to be saturated and focused on building the belief in Christ for believers and, and for non-believers to believe in Jesus, we as the church and as His children who have believed in Him, we must see that we are sent by God to the world so that they will know who he is. And so John's life, every bit of his life was so unique and was marked by this mindset that he understood that he had been sent from God. He was unique and different and that he did not dress the part of a preacher. I don't know what a preacher is supposed to dress like, and I think people in the world today have, have lots of issues. But I'm just telling you right now, if John the Baptist came into this building today in 2019 he would not look like us he didn't look like his his generation and so he'd probably be run out of a lot of churches huh what's that crazy guy up there that bug-eating man wearing camel's clothing and we place a lot of emphasis on a lot of things that don't need to be that way john was never afraid to say what needed to be said as a matter of fact he said what needed to be said, and he got arrested for it. And it cost him his life eventually. His message was not refined to fit the times. He was not a man pleaser in the way that he preached and communicated. He didn't look around at the first century and go, 
man, what's in? What's everybody kind of into now? And what's everybody kind of wearing? And what's everybody interested in? I'm just going to kind of give some messages along those lines. His message was not to affirm the times, but to say in the times that God was coming and you could know Him and that you could see Him. He was coming to rescue His people. And I think sometimes, often you hear this said, um, John had influence in spite of the times. And maybe we shouldn't say that. Maybe we should say something like this. John had influence because his message was not geared to the times. It was timeless. It was different. It was unique. It was biblical. And it was geared toward the coming of the glory of Christ. And so he spoke the message. And so, first of all, if you want to know what gospel-centered ministry looks like, it is saturated with the subject of believing in Christ. Secondly, the church has this mindset, we are sent. We are sent. Thirdly, we must see ourselves as set apart as a witness. Look at the next part of verse 7. We're all, or the first part of verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. This word witness is interesting. In the Greek, it means he came with a message. Doesn't mean that he just was a, a witness. He just was somebody you could go and see, but he came with a witness. He came with a message. He came with something to say. He had a message. Now, again, okay, second, y'all. Y'all failed the test a while ago, second service. Are y'all with me? Is your mind engaged? Okay, I'm not asking a trick question. Look with me in verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about what? What does it say? The light. Watch this, church. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we we will get caught up into this. All right, here we go. Taking the glasses off because I've got to make a big point here. Annette Roberts is sitting right there. She is gifted about decorating and things like that. Some of you are as well. Let me tell you what we're going to do. She is choosing the flooring that's going to go down here, and we're just going to love it and be okay with it. So if you have a problem with it, this is what you do with your mouth. You will shut it. And here's why. Has God called us to be petty about that kind of stuff? Or has He called us to be passionate about the glory of Christ? So we're not, we're not going to get caught up in that kind of stuff. Watch this. John came as a witness with the message about the light. And that was it. Nothing else. John had one great passion, one great calling. I am going to be about the light. I'm not going to be about curtains. I'm not going to be about this. I'm not going to be about location. I'm going to be about this. I'm going to be about the light. I'm about the light. Hey, John, what are you about? I'm about the light. Hey, John, come on, man. What are you about? I'm about the light. He came with a message about the light. And I tell you, when you become a witness, you step into the witness box, and not only do you communicate something, but you also are c- committing yourself. It's a communication 
And it's a commitment in the witness box to say this. I'm testifying about this. This is true. And so I'm staking my life on it. Now, in your seat is a piece of paper. And we're not going to go through all of this. Please take it home. Um, Put it in your Bible. There are eight places in John's gospel that say there's a bearing witness as to who Jesus is. So let's just run through it real fast. The witness of the Father that Jesus is who He is. Jesus bears witness about Himself. Thirdly, the disciples bear witness. Jesus said His works bear witness as to who He is. There's all those scriptures there. Fifth one, the scriptures bear witness. Jesus is who He is. Back page, number six. Transformed lives all through John's gospel bear witness as to who He is. A Samaritan woman, a blind man. The crowd, you want to read something funny? Read the blind man's statement to the Pharisees. So funny. You don't want to believe in him also? It's just so great. The crowd after Lazarus' resurrection, a crippled man. Seventh, the Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. And eighth, John the Baptist bears witness about Jesus. Now again, second service, I'm counting on you. All of those bearing witnesses are about who? Jesus. Listen, you and I are not the point. We're not the point. We are not the point. We are not the point. John the Baptist is not the point. The Apostle John is not the point. Paul is not the point. I'm not the point. Life point's not the point. No one is the point but Jesus. And so John comes along and he understands this. I'm about the light. I'm about the light. John, what are you about? I'm about the light. He came to testify about the light. And and he was set apart as a witness. And you and I must see that we are about the light. We are about the light. Fourth thing that should, should mark Gospel-centered ministry in the New Testament is the last part of verse 7. That all might believe through him. John was to be salvation's servant. He was to serve the cause of people believing in Jesus. And he was willing to lay his life down and lay all honors at the feet of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says that God, watch this, makes his appeal through, through us to the world. Now, God could have used angels to communicate the gospel and complete the Great Commission, but the way God decided to do it was through people like you and I, that we would be the ones who would bear witness about the light and we would tell people about Jesus. The last thing this morning, there's a f- several things with this. The fifth thing, that I think is a sign of true gospel ministry is this, is that the ministers and the people always see themselves as second. Jesus is first. We are second. Look at verse 8. But you've got to put 7 with it. He came as a witness. He had a message to bear witness about the light. He was only going to be about the light. That all might believe through him, salvation servant, that people would believe as he testified about the light. Look at verse 8. He was not the what? He was not the light. He's not the light. Don't believe in John the Baptist. Believe through his message to Jesus. John didn't come to, for, you to, for us to believe in him. 
He came that we would believe in Jesus. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. In other words, verse 8 is saying this. John was secondary. He was just to be a voice. He was just to be a witness, to testify and point to the light. So I want to I close our time here and point out a few things in regard to what does it look like to be second? What does it look like tonight in a culture that says, make much of yourself, put yourself out there, draw attention to you, post that thing out there so people will go, oh, aren't you so awesome? The scripture says this, that you and I are second. And when I talk about second, I think it means that we just move ourselves lower and lower and lower and lower. We're just not that big a deal compared to the light. He was not the light, but he testified to the light. So how do we do that? What does that look like? I think number one is this. I think we've got this on the screen is if you and I are going to see ourselves as second, then we see that our mission and passion is to stand for and speak of the light. And it says there, he came to bear, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And I think John the Baptist would say this, I was consumed with the light. I was consumed with knowing Jesus. He's greater and he embraced the role of committing his life to follow and he was all in in that reality listen church last night at 4 a.m if you were out here if i've been out here really early in the morning out here and it's dark out here you're getting lighter now that houses are here but it's dark out here and you might need a flashlight to roam around but about 8 o'clock this morning, does that flashlight do any good outside anymore? Is it necessary? No, it's not. Watch this. John was consumed with this reality. I am a testimony to the light. I'm pointing to the light, the Son of God. I'm not the light. I'm not the light. He's the light. He's the one. And so we stand for and we're committed to that and we're consumed with that reality secondly if we're going to be second we're going to stand for speak for consumed by secondly we're going to lay ourselves aside for the glory of christ who is the light john knew he was not the point and that is why he said i'm not the one to to point to me don't point to me because i'm pointing beyond myself and i'm pointing to him who is life and by the way I'll say this to you and I this morning. You and I will truly find significance and purpose and direction in our lives from pointing beyond, the living this way, pointing beyond ourselves and pointing to Him. Because when you lose yourself, what do you do? You find yourself. But when you seek to find yourself, that's why this American mindset is anti-biblical. The world says, and you'll hear people say this still, well, I just, I just had to take a break and go find myself. When you find yourself, do you know what you find? A heart that's full of depravity. But when you find Jesus, His light permeates that life and it brings freedom and purpose and direction and understanding of God and, and mission and, and all of that kind of stuff. But our culture says, find yourself, find yourself. No, Jesus says, lose yourself. And when you lose yourself, you get me, 
if you're walking and seeking me. Now, I believe the second point I'm talking about here, lay ourselves aside for the glory of Christ, is about humility. And I think there's a false understanding of how humility is birthed and developed and born in our lives. Let me tell you how it works in our country. I know the Dallas can talk about that. You guys do a lot of counseling and a lot of things. Here's how people act like they have humility. They talk about how weak they are. They talk about how insignificant they are. They talk about how foolish I am and um, how sinful I am. And they self-deprecate. Watch this. They self-deprecate. I'm just, I'm just nobody. No, hello, you've been made by God. You have a purpose, okay? No, you're not a nobody. But they self-deprecate, and that is just a sick version of pride. Because what are you doing as you do that? You're still making yourself the center of attention. Now watch this. I believe humility is developed when we are so captivated and preoccupied with Jesus that we lose ourselves. And when we lose ourselves, others become more important than us. And we're able to meet their needs. And Christ becomes more important. And so that's the idea. Lose yourself in me because I'm life. And that life that you have in me is light. And it's going to show you that you're sent, that you're set apart, that you're unique. And so, so this idea from John is this. Is John just did this. Listen to these words. These are all in chapter 1 from John the Baptist. Jesus is the Lord, verse 23. John said, I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal, 27. Behold the Lamb of God, 29. Um, he said that Jesus was of higher rank than him because he existed before John, even though John was six months older on the earth than Jesus, verse 30. He testified that he saw the Spirit of God descending on Jesus as a dove out of heaven, verse 32. In verse 34, he said, I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And then in chapter 3, verse 30, and we're going to get there months and months and months from now. We're going to get to chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist says, he must increase and I have to decrease. See, John laid himself aside for the glory of Christ. And thirdly, this is what John did. He embraced, boy, this is countercultural. He embraced the joy of becoming less. He found joy in that. I think we find our greatest significance in pointing beyond ourselves to the one who holds the greatest significance, which is Christ. And our mission is to point beyond ourselves always to the presence and the person of Jesus himself. We're not calling people to an idea. We're not calling people this morning to a philosophy. We are calling people this morning to Jesus who is real he is the eternal God. He was a person. He died here. He rose. Um, we're going to see him one day. He's coming back. And I want to say this to us as we finish up. John teaches us something that is void in our Western Christian American mindset. And it's the word not. Our culture says, make much of yourself, make much of yourself, even in the church. Make sure everybody knows what you're doing, how awesome you are. And the temptation for that, and for, for somebody like me to, to well up today, if, if boy, boy, if you'll 
pat me on the shoulder a bunch of times today. I'll go home today and I'll have a better nap, a more secure nap today that you've affirmed me. And I, I should have the same nap every Sunday whether you tap me on the shoulder or not because I'm not doing this for you. I've got to preach to the glory of who he is. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. But I want to make sure that he's pleased. And I think when he's pleased, he does something. You know what I've come to find out? I get these emails nonstop every week because of my role. Pastor, are you marketing your church to your community really well? How are you marketing your church? How can you market your church better? You know what John the Baptist did 2,000 years ago? He went to the remotest place out in the desert by the Jordan River and just started preaching. They didn't send out mailers. He just started preaching and he trusted that the Spirit would do what the Spirit needed to do. And Jerusalem and all Judea and all the surrounding area found themselves out in the wilderness, probably looking around going, what, how did we get here today? What are we? And they heard this guy say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. And they came into the water and they were baptized and they confessed their sins and they repented. And I think all of that came about because John the Baptist adopted three, well, I don't know what it is in Aramaic, but it's the word not. And I think it's void in the church today. Listen to this. John 1.8 He was not the light. John 1.20 John confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. John 1.21 They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. I'm John the Baptist. I'm the voice. Well, are you a prophet? And John answered, No. John 1.26 John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom Um, who you do not know, and even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal, I am not worthy to untie. John 131, I myself, I didn't know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. John 133, same words, I myself did not know him. And listen to John 3, 28. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. I wonder what our marriages would be like, what our relationships would be like, what the church could be like. If we just lived in such a way and says, I'm not really anything, but he's everything. So, just going to testify about the light. I'm just going to be about the light. I'm going to be about the light. And I tell you, that's so countercultural to a world today. And I would challenge you this. I guess I could get emails about this one, but I'll say it anyway. I would encourage you to pull up your social media account. 
and just read it, do you talk more about you or do you talk more about Jesus? And I think if John were here today, I think he would go, what are y'all doing making much of yourself? When your job is to point to the light. You're not the light. You're not the light. I'm not the light. You're not the light. He's the light. So quit pointing to yourself. Quit making a big deal about you. Because you're not a big deal. I've said this before. If I die tomorrow, next week somebody's preaching in here. The church is not going to collapse next, next Sunday. You can meet. He is the center. And so John just says to us, listen, here's the reality. We must embrace, watch, the joy of becoming less. Listen to these words. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Watch what John's saying here. John's saying this. <clears throat> He's filled with the Spirit. Luke 1.15 tells us this. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. But John was not going to be there to see the cross happen. He wasn't going to be there to see the resurrection happen. He wasn't going to be the, the bride of Christ, the church. He was going to be the friend of Jesus, the best man. And when the best man, when, when the groom came back to get the bride, John thought, man... I, I am so excited to hear the voice of him who's come for the bride. And he said, I'm, I'm the friend. And he says these words, Therefore, this joy of mine, being the friend of the bridegroom, is now complete. And a little bit later in John 1.29, he's got all of his peeps with him. And they think John's awesome. And Jesus comes walking by. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Once again, says, I'm not it. He's it. He's it. He's it. Place your, don't place your trust in me. Place your trust in Him. That's the Son of God. All right, I want to close with this, and i got to get something in here. Here's our choice this week. We will spend our lives hovering around artificial life, light that does not last or we will live in the light. And I think this is the great danger of the church today is that we went all these temporary lives. Did the, was the music enough for me today? And I would say, no, was Jesus enough for us today? Who cares about the music? Who cares about the temperature and fans and comfy chairs? Go to Nepal with us when it's 95 inside of a room and there ain't no fans in there. And Jesus is so awesome and real and there's no artificial light in there. And I just want to remind you and I today, this is what we will do. If John the Baptist could be in here today, and in a sense he is, the heart of John the Baptist is here, and he would say this, you are not the light, I am not the light, 
artificial lights aren't the light. He's the light. So we, if you spend this week around artificial light and you try to keep it on, it's going to what? Eventually, by tomorrow, what's going to happen to this flashlight? It's going to die. But if you and I place our life in the light and we live in the light of who He is, then we live in the light. Because in Him, there is no darkness, there is no shadow of turning. And so this is my heart to you and I today, is is this going to be our choice or is that kind of life going to be our choice? Because this fades, but that does not. And so John says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. He is, he is, he is, he is, he is, he is. And students, children, adults, run to the light right now. Right where you sit, run to it. Because in him is life, and that life is the light of men. Let's pray.